Thank you for joining us. Today, we will be listening to Pastor Margaret Mendenhall as she teaches us principles from God's Word. So uh, this morning, I want to start out with uh, something the Lord's been laying on my heart. Uh, We've been talking about the church. You know, I I do feel the responsibility that God's put me in this uh, position uh, to minister to the church and take this church the best of my ability with whatever God's put in me to where God wants us to go. It's not about a person. It's about God's plan. And I don't know, I'm sure all of you are very much aware of what's going on in the world. It's not a pretty sight out there. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, God hasn't told me everything. He hasn't told me hardly anything. What he has told me, I'm having to stand in faith for. But um, it's not really um, favorable out there anymore. But I think God is up to something. Now, I know he's not causing the wars. I know he's not causing the inflation and all the ugliness that we have to deal with. He's not causing that. But he is doing something. And he is preparing us for something. And I want to be prepared personally. And I want Victory Center to be prepared corporately for what God is going to do in this day and hour. It's going to be spectacular. So I ran across a prophecy of Smith Wigglesworth that he gave in 1939. So this was just before World War II. And uh, some of you might not know who Smith Wigglesworth was, but he was a great... They called him the Apostle of Faith. He was a great man... uh, that ministered in the first part of, of the 1900s. And uh, he, he died, I don't know the exact time that he died, but it was sort of mid-century. Mid uh, but I've read a lot about him. He's a, he started out to be a plumber, just an illiterate plumber. <clears throat> and... Um, he, he, did, he finally learned to read, but he would only read the Bible. He would not allow any newspapers in his house. He did, had, there was no source of information that came into his household except the Bible. And I remember reading that he said that he never let 15 minutes go by without praying. He said, I never prayed very long, but I never let 15 minutes go by without praying. This was a man of great faith, and um, I don't know how many people he raised from the dead, but he, had, he raised many people from the dead. He was very uh, full of the Spirit of God, and signs and wonders did follow his ministry. So I give you that background just so you would understand a little bit about this prophecy and perhaps give it a little more credibility. <clears throat> but he, uh, in my day my younger day, uh, we, we were mentored a little bit by Lester Summerall. I don't know how many of you don't know who Lester Summerall is, but uh, uh, we, we did uh, receive a lot from Lester Summerall during our early days of the ministry. But he would visit Smith Wigglesworth occasionally, 
And uh, this is probably the last time that he was able to visit Smith Wigglesworth. So this uh, prophecy was given by Smith Wigglesworth to Lester Summerall. So this is what he said, uh, Smith said, with tears rolling down his face. He said, I probably won't see you again now. My job is almost finished. As he continued to pray, he cried, I see it, I see it. Now, when Lester would go, they didn't talk a whole lot. They just prayed. They'd just pray, and they'd pray. I mean, it was a great conversation, I'm sure. But uh, So they were praying. And uh, so Smith Wigglesworth said, I see it, I see it. And Brother Summerall asked, what do you see? What do you see? He said, I see a healing revival coming right after World War II. It'll be so easy to get people healed. I see it. I see it. I won't be here for it, but you will be. And there was a healing revival right after the war. It's when many of the great healing evangelists, Rose Oral Roberts, A.A. Allen, and many more. He continued to prophesy, I see another one. I see people of all different denominations being filled with the Holy Ghost. It was the charismatic revival. God raised up people during the era like the full gospel businessmen. Now, I don't know how many of you were involved in that, but that was the, that was the time when Pastor and I were baptized in the Holy Spirit. We attended many full gospel businessmen's meetings all across the nation, and there was such a move of God of the Holy Ghost, that denominations just begin to, the walls begin to melt between denominations as people came together and, and uh, the Holy Spirit would move. And we begin to actually see each other. One denomination would see another one and we think, well, they aren't that bad after all. You know, I was raised uh, in a denomination that I thought, I was taught, I mean, it was kind of like, don't ever touch a Baptist. I mean, something might get off on you. You just don't know. And so, you know, we didn't have anything to do with the Baptist. And I don't think they had anything to do with us. And um, now, it's like those walls begin to come down. And how much do we love the Baptist? How much do we love the different denominations? Because they all have something to contribute. So, this, so he saw this. He saw this. Full gospel businessmen's meeting. So this was kind of like in the 70s, uh, the 1970s. So then uh, Brother Wigglesworth continued, I see another move of God. I see auditoriums full of people with notebooks. There will be a wave of teaching on faith and healing. And then we experienced that wave that he saw, and we called it the Word of Faith movement. Well, here we are. The Word of Faith movement is what, what birthed this church 44 years ago. Pastor and I were part of Brother Hagen's ministry. And it's called the Word of Faith. We're uh, teaching. We learned teaching. It wasn't just preaching anymore. It was teaching. And we begin to grow as a body of Christ, individuals and corporately, we begin to grow and Smith Wigglesworth had seen this. Then he prophesied. After that, 
After that third wave, and he started sobbing, I see the last day revival that's going to usher in the precious fruit of the earth. It will be the greatest revival this world has ever seen. It's going to be a wave of the gifts of the Spirit. The ministry gifts will be flowing on this planet Earth. I see hospitals being emptied out, and they will bring the sick to churches where they allow the Holy Ghost to move. That's what we have right on the horizon. That's what we have to be excited about. I'm going to reread uh, a prophecy that I read a few weeks ago that was given to our uh, youth leader, who was J.J. Heffley at the time. And uh, Amanda, you might have to kind of tell me when that was. Was that like the early 2000s or the 1990s? About like 20 years ago, okay. You are really smart. I mean, we needed you this morning. <laughs> you were there. Yeah, I was there actually too. Uh, uh, but J.J. Heffley was our youth leader, and he had taken our youth group to Youth America. And they were coming home, and they had stopped at Brian's Corner to fill up with gas. And they had the church vans, in, which had Victory Center on the side of it. And so uh, this, he, he wrote this down. I'm just going to read it to you the way he wrote it. As the youth group was returning from Youth America, we stopped to get gas at Brian's Corner. An elderly man approached me and said he was a truck driver and that the Lord had told him to pull into the gas station to tell me something. He said that God had, has big plans for Victory Center and that God has heard the prayers of our church and consequently there is coming a spiritual explosion he said that the walls would not be able to hold the people. Now, I don't know if the, he was talking about these walls or our new church walls. I mean, if it's our new church walls, that's a lot of people. Uh, this, he said, would happen among both the youth and the adults. He went on to say that I should tell Pastor Charlie that his vision is going to happen. He mentioned Ezekiel 37 as part of the vision. I don't know if you know what Ezekiel 37 is, but that's about the dry bones, where Ezekiel was taken to the valley of the dry bones, and the bones were dead. They were very dry. And God said, okay, prophesy to them. Prophesy to them, uh, and they begin to come together. And as he prophesied, the, the ligaments, the, every, uh, you know, the flesh and everything came on, these dead bodies, and then God said, now prophesy, and life came into them. And there was a great stirring and a great army. And he said, uh, so he mentions Ezekiel 37 as part of that vision. He also said that we should not look to other revivals such as Brownsville. Pastor and I went to Brownsville. It was a great revival, move of God. He said, because the revival here would be different. And after he was done talking, he turned around and walked off. Now, he didn't disappear, but he walked off. But that was incredible to me when I heard about that prophecy because uh, that's something that God has always put in our heart. And yesterday, I was, um, had a little bit of time and I was in the office that used to be Pastor Charlie's office. 
And his, uh, I was spending some time there, and his journal was laying there. Now, my husband always said that I was nosy. And uh, I can't imagine why he thought that. But I decided I would look in his journal. And so I began to read his journal. And as I was reading it, I saw that vision in his heart of what Victory Center was going to be. And over and over and over, he would say, we just want the presence of the God. We just want people helped. That was his mantra. I want people helped. No matter what we do, our goal is we want people helped. And um, as I was reading that, I saw into my husband's heart. And I thought, you know, even though he's not here now, we are here and we are going to carry out his vision And we're going to be a church that's going to be ready, ready for the move of God. Psalms 133, verses 1 through 3 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant is it for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment poured on the head that ran down on the beard, even the beard of Aaron, the first high priest that came down upon the collar and the skirts of his garments, consecrating the whole body. It is like the dew of lofty Mount Hermon and the dew that comes on the hills of Zion. For there, what is it? Where is the there? The there is where there is unity. There the Lord has commanded the blessing even life forevermore upon the high and the lowly. Unity creates the blessings of God that every single person that is involved in that particular group of people receives something from God, a blessing. Blessings of God come without sorrow. The blessings of God It is fabulous, just like I shared at the first of the service. Pleasures forevermore. That's what is in God's heart for his people and for his church and for this church. For this church. He wants you so blessed that it splashes over on someone else. And then they get blessed and so they splash over on somebody else. So that's what it's all about, and that's what we're, we've been talking about uh, several different weeks here. We're, we're preparing ourselves individually and preparing ourselves as a corporate body to be part of God's great move in this last day. So I want to look at Ephesians, the fourth chapter. I've been reading this quite a bit as I've been ministering uh, recently, but it has just exploded in my heart for me personally and for the church. So in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, um, if you're familiar, this is, this is a very, very rich chapter. In fact, the whole book of Ephesians is very, very rich. 
talking about the church. A lot of it's talking about the church, the glorious church. And what God has prepared and what he has in mind for the church. And you know, I think we as a church need to know what God's intention is for our church. And so verse 11, I'm not going to read that, but we're just, I'm just going to talk about it. That God gave gifts to men. And what he gave was the ministry, the fivefold ministry gifts. So it was the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. These are gifts that God has placed in the body of Christ. Pastor Charlie was a gift that God had placed here. And you received from that gift. God has given great gifts. These are great gifts. And they are for a purpose. And verse 12 tells us that intention. God's intention was the perfecting and the full equipping of the saints, his consecrated people, that they, I really like that as a pastor, that they should do the work of ministering towards building up Christ's body, the church. So here's the gift right here to perfect and equip you out there so you out there can go out and do the work of building up Christ's body. How simple is that? I can see you are really excited out there. Yay! I get to do something. Woohoo! Okay, you do get to. Easter's coming up. This is your great opportunity to build up Christ's body by inviting somebody that might not go to church anywhere and may not even be born again. Bring them. Your God's intention was that you go out and you do the work of the ministry. And then verse 13 is a, a continuous continuation of God's uh, intention that the church might develop until we all attain oneness in the faith and in the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God that we might arrive at really mature manhood. Now see, God doesn't want a bunch of little kids running around. He's, you know, that we have to change their diapers all the time, stick a bottle in their mouth, feed them with milk all the time. He wants us to grow up and mature. Why? Because he's got work for us to do. And you know, as well as I do, that you do not turn your, if you're a businessman, you do not turn your business over to a child. You wait till they, they're grown and they're mature, and then you can turn the business over to the child. And they're no longer a child. They're, they're able to handle it. See, this is what God's intention is, that we as a body and individuals can be so prepared because we have been matured. Now, we're all on different levels of growth, of course. But 
God wants us to be pressing in and growing day by day by day. That's what we're doing. That's what we're planning on. And so, um, verse, uh, let me finish here. I'm just going to go back and reread. Uh, he wants us to have the knowledge, the full knowledge of the Son of God, that we might arrive at really mature manhood, the completeness of personality, which is nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own per perfection, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and the completeness found in him. What is he saying? He's saying we, he wants us to mature to the place where we're just little Jesuses running around. The Bible says if you lift up Jesus, it's going to draw all men unto him. God wants us to act like Jesus, to do works like Jesus, and to love like Jesus loved. Now, in, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump over real quick. and uh, I could say a lot of things about this chapter, but I've already talked about it some. But let's read verse 16. For because of Jesus, or him, the whole body, the church with all its various parts. Now I'm looking out here at all these various parts. God's looking at all these various parts. One is not better than the other. Everybody has a part. We're part. We don't have the whole, but we have the part. And so... Because of him, the whole body, the church, and all its various parts are joined and firmly knit together by the joints and the ligaments with which it is supplied. When each part with power adapted to its need is working properly in all its function, grows to full maturity, what? Building itself up in L-O-V-E. In love. There's no way that you and I will ever be mature in Christ until we learn to walk in love. Love, Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 14.1, he said, <clears throat> make love your quest. Maybe she'll get it up there in just a second. 1 Corinthians 14.1, do you have that? You will, no you will notice that, okay, there you go. Eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love. Make it your aim, your great quest. Leave that up there just a second. What is your quest? Well, we could say, yeah, Jesus is my, que my quest. Well, you know what? If, you are, if that is your quest, you are really seeking after love. Because God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is love. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus is love. 
But we should pursue and seek to acquire this love. Make it your aim and your great quest. This was one of the biggest commandments that Jesus had. If you will look at John 13. Oh, wait, don't take that down just a second. I just want to mention the last part of that. And earnestly desire and cultivate spiritual endowment gifts especially that you might prophesy, inter interpret the divine will and purpose in inspired preaching and teaching. The reason I wanted to read that is because the first part of 1 Corinthians 13 says, you know what? You may be able to prophesy with the best. You may speak in tongues, which is a gift of the Spirit. But if you don't have love, it's just a lot of noise. And he said, you can, you can even have so much faith that you can move a mountain. And you can be so generous that you're just giving all the time. But if you do it without love, you're a useless nobody, Amplified says. And you know what? You can even be martyred, burned at the stake. And Paul said, if you don't have love, it's all in vain. How important is love? You know, it says here to earn, we just read to earnestly seek the gifts of the Spirit. But don't seek them without love. If you're seeking anything that's going to exalt you because you want to be exalted, that's not love. And it's going to be just noisy. You're going to be a useless nobody. It's not going to amount to anything. So in John, the 13th chapter, this was Jesus with his disciples at the very end of his life, just before he went to the cross. This was an important time that he had with the disciples. And uh, in John, uh, I want to read, you know, first of all, we could spend the rest of the morning and read this whole chapter because it is fabulous. But Jesus, uh, it starts out, Jesus knew that uh, he was getting ready to return to the Father and as he had loved those who were his own in the world, he loved them to the last and to the highest degree. That's verse 1. But uh, In verse uh, 34, he says, oh, and, and let me just mention this. Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet. But it said just before that, he knew who was going to betray him. But you know what? He went to every single one of those disciples and washed their feet. Judas's feet got washed. And he knew what Judas was getting ready to do, but he washed his feet anyway. He loved them to the highest and to the very best. And so in verse 34, he tells his disciples and you and I, a new commandment, I give you a new commandment that you should love one another just as I have loved you. 
So you two should love one another. By this, listen, it's by this, shall all men know that you are my disciples. It's not because you bring your Bible to church. It's not because you have a wonderful, insightful bumper sticker. He said, it's by this, by your love, shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another and if you keep on showing love among yourselves. It's by this. It's not by the gifts of the Spirit. It's not by your great faith. It's not by your generosity. It's not by your martyrdom. It's by your love. That's how people will know that you are Christ's disciples. We know that Jesus was our example when he was on this earth. All through, you know, we've been talking about the move of God. We've been talking about signs and wonders and miracles. Jesus had signs and wonders and miracles follow him. But you know, the key is... It says he was moved with compassion and healed the sick. He was moved with compassion. You see him moved with compassion at Lazarus' grave. He knew what he was going to do, but he had compassion for all those out there that was mourning and suffering. And he wept. That's compassion. He wept. For all of these people, it says that he saw the crowds and they were scattered just like sheep without a shepherd. And the next thing we know, it says he was moved with compassion and he healed them. And he taught them. And he did things to th with them that helped them. Why? Because he was moved with compassion. Uh, years ago, we were on a ski trip and uh, I was... This is back when I was younger and actually went skiing and actually went with the youth. We were having a little kind of devotional service uh, at the end of the day. And um, all of a sudden, on the inside of me, there was one young man there that my heart was just drawn towards. I could just, I didn't know what to call it then, but now I know it was like compassion and God gave me a prophecy for that young man. And right after that happened, I heard the Spirit of God say, the gifts of the Spirit operate on the wings of compassion. The gifts of the Spirit operate on the wings of compassion. And I have learned since then that I can... I can feel when God wants to do something for someone, all of a sudden something starts rising up on the inside of me and I feel that compassion for that person. And I know that God wants to touch him in some way. Sometimes it's a prophecy. Sometimes it's prayer, whatever. But that's when, when we cultivate... When we cultivate the love of God on the inside of us, it will be natural... For us to operate in the supernatural power of God. I don't want a dead religion, do you? 
I want something living. I want something that makes a difference in people's lives. I want to see people healed. I want to see the crippled healed. I want to see the dead raised. How's that going to happen? It's not going to be among a bunch of babies. It's going to be people that know how to love. So, of course, we must make love our quest. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of Galatians 5, 6, and um, you don't have to put that up there. I'm just going to quote it. Uh, the, Bible, the King James says, faith works by love. Uh, I think the TPT says, faith is brought to perfection by love. And uh, the Amplified says, faith is activated and energized by love. Faith is activated and energized by love. Now, we all know how powerful faith is. But I just kind of described to you that without love, faith is powerless. It doesn't do what, what God wants it to do. So I have turned it around and I say this. Love is brought to perfection by being activated and energized by faith. Because I don't want, you know, in, in my life, if God says you ought to do this, and it's not natural for me to do this, then I want to know how do I do it? You know, don't just tell me I need to do it. Tell me how. And if, not, if possible, show me how. If possible, give me steps, whatever. I need to know what it looks like. And so, if I'm supposed to walk in love, which I am, then if that's not natural for me, I'm going to ask you something. How, you don't have to raise your hand. But how many of you, is it natural for you to walk in the agape kind of love? That's the kind of love that loves their enemies. Probably none of us. Um, we may have developed into it, but you know what? I have seen some really selfish children. I mean, I have seen babies that had the audacity to wake their parents up in the middle of the night when their parents had worked all day long and they were dead tired and they were wanting something for them. Not their parents, but for them. They couldn't care less about how their parents felt. Have you ever seen a child like that? I kind of think that most of us started out that way. So it's inherent within us to not walk in love. It's something we have to learn. In fact, in Philippians, it tells us it has to be developed. Well, the good news is that uh, I, have, I brought my handy little faucet with me just so you could remember. The good thing is this, that when you were born again, you were plumbed with the love of God. Because Romans 5, 5 says, the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. 
So when you got born again, guess what? God poured and cast, actually the, uh, the TPT said he cascaded that love down on the inside of you. So you are plumbed with the love of God. So here we are. We have the love of God on the inside of us, but it's up to us to turn it on. Just like your house can be plumbed and probably is, if not, see Fred. Um, your house is probably plumbed with water, probably hot and cold water. You know, the only way you access it is to turn it on. I mean, you can cry around and say, oh, I just would love to have a bath, but I just can't find any water. All you have to do is turn on the faucet and it will begin to cascade out of you. The love of God is in you. It can cascade out of you if you know how to turn it on. And just like I said, love works by faith. Now I'm just going to quickly take you to Romans, the fourth chapter, the 17th verse. Romans it says, as, as it is written, now this is uh, God saying this. Actually, it's Paul that wrote it, but as it is written, I, God, have made you Abraham, the father of many nations. He was appointed our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. Now, let me just explain that. God appointed Abraham in God's sight. Abraham was the father of men and nations because Abraham did believe in him. And then it's talking about God who gives life to the dead and speaks of non-existent things that he has foretold and promised as if they already existed. Now, this is the way God works. He sees the end. He sees the promise. And he speaks of it as though it had already happened. So when you read in the Bible, the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost, you may not feel like it, but God said it. So God said Abraham was a father of many nations. But we find out that the way that Abraham accessed what God has promised, it was by faith. So I wrote this down. God made and called Abraham a father of many nations before he even had a child. God called him something then Abraham became it by faith. Okay? See that picture? Would Abraham have ever become it if he hadn't received it by faith and believed it and said, okay, well, I'm the father of many nations? Eventually, he came to that point. So God calls us full of love. I've got the little faucet to prove it. God's called us full of love, then we use our faith to become it. You become, you become because you agree with what God has said. So how do you use your faith? I'm full of the love of God. 
You may not feel like it. You may not act like it. But you start believing it. Quit calling yourself what God hasn't called you. Call yourself what God calls you. Your spouse can't call it. You have to call it. If God calls you full of love, then you can call yourself that. You don't have to figure it out. You just need to find it out from the word. You become what you call yourself. That's walking by faith, developing love. That's how, one of the ways that you do it. So, oh, let me, uh, the job of faith is to believe. It's up to God to make it happen. Let me repeat that. The job of faith is to believe. It's up to God to make it happen. Psalm 62.12 from the TPT says, All the love you need is found in me. That's where you get it. God plums it into you, and now you have it available to use. So, now, I want to just kind of help you to learn how to release it. Now, I don't know if you have noticed, but um, in all my years of living, and there has been many, many years, all my years of living, I have run into very few perfect people. In fact, I'm not sure if I have ever actually met a perfect person. Now, if you have, you need to let me know. I know some of you women think that you have married the perfect person. Or at least you thought you had when you married them until the next day. <laughs> and then you found out, oops, he's human. Yeah, we're all human. I even have to look in the mirror and think, well, I still haven't found a perfect person. Because like I said, we were all born Really, really selfish. And another word for selfishness is a narcissist. Did I pronounce that right? Narcissist. Whew. You know that one. Okay. So I had written down here how to identify one of those things. Narcissist. That's the way it's spelled. Okay. Thank you. So this is how to identify a narcissist. Everything will revolve around this person. It will be all about their needs, their wants, their life. Nothing will ever be their fault, even with evidence to the contrary. It is still never their fault. They neglect you. They take you for granted and never make you feel important or valuable. Selfishness is an understatement when you are dealing with them. They lack empathy and compassion, and the only feelings they care about are their own. Everyone around them are objects to be used for their own gratification or needs. Narcissists don't want honest relationships. They want cheerleaders. They want people who always tell them they're right. 
They want blind loyalty and unconditional acceptance no matter what they do. As long as you don't question anything they do or think, or think that they're wrong on anything, they might leave you alone. But watch out if you disagree with them or go against them in any way. In their eyes, this is the deepest betrayal and it never goes unpunished. Narcissists are spiteful and vindictive. Now, I have described a person that is extremely selfish. Now, I know none of you here identified with any of this. You probably know somebody like that. Probably everybody knows somebody, but it's not the one looking at you in the mirror, right? It's the person that's it's always, what about me? What about me? So like I described, that's a child. We have grown children, grown up people that are still acting like children because they're so selfish. They think about themselves only. And so uh, I've written down what, uh, what you don't do if you're trying to change or if you're living with or if you know a narcissist, what not to do. What you don't do is make them your project to change them. To make them see the error of their ways. This produces a disaster waiting to happen. You, in your preaching and teaching and great uh, wisdom, cannot change a person like that. The reason I wrote down three, three, four reasons or four things that will happen if you try to change one. They will, first of all, swear that they're not a narcissist. Absolutely. Don't even tell anybody they are because they'll swear, I am not. It's you. They will perceive your great efforts as an attack. They will become defensive and hostile, and they will put up a wall to keep you out. That's not the way to do it. So what can you do? In this world that is full of selfish people, in this world that there's people that's imperfect, inconsistent, immature, what can you do? Can you do anything? You can. I'm going to tell you about it. I want to look at uh, Luke 6, um, 31 and 32. You're probably familiar with this. We call this the golden rule. And as you would like and desire that what men would do to you, do exactly so to them. Verse 32. And if you merely love those who love you, what quality of credit and thanks is that to you? For listen, for even the very sinners love their lovers, those who love them. Don't take that down. The key is right there. If there is someone that's a narcissist, hopefully it's not you. But you would like to see them change because you're in a relationship with them and it's not pleasant. How can you change them? It says that even sinners 
love the people who love them. Do you see the key there? The Bible is full of sowing seeds so you can reap a harvest. Sowing seeds so you can reap a harvest. Well, Luke 6, earlier on, it says, uh, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. We think that only means money. But if you look at the context of it, it means how you treat other people. So, you want someone to change? Start loving them. Is that possible? Well, look at Luke uh, 6, 27 and through 29 in the TPT. But if you will listen, I say unto you, love your enemies and do something wonderful for them in return for their hatred. Is that possible? Go to the next verse. When someone curses you, bless that person in return. When you are mistreated and harassed by others, accept it as your mission to pray for them. They're turning in a prayer request. So Jesus is telling us for our own good what we can do to begin to change a troubled relationship. Jesus did that. What did he do on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He bestowed forgiveness, and that forgiveness went down from the cross, clear down to this century, to you and I's life. And he says to you, about you and I, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they do. And what did that do? That changed us. It changes us. In 1970, let me figure it up, 1975, uh, pastor and I, he wasn't a pastor then, we moved to uh, Tulsa to go to Rhema Bible Training Center. And uh, I didn't want to work, but because uh, I'd never worked outside the home, but we needed an income, sort of. And so uh, I got a job as a receptionist at Cameron Corporation there in Tulsa. And uh, the man that was immediately over me was the bookkeeper. So I was answerable to him. Now, most of you probably, I mean, a lot of you heard this story, but I want to hear it again. I like it. Uh, but uh, some of you haven't, so that's why I'm sharing it. Because the Lord began to teach me this principle that I just shared with you. So this bookkeeper, he was, a, he was a chain smoker. He was a little scrawny guy. And uh, nobody really liked him, but he was good at what he did. And so the very first time I knew that I didn't like him was when I had typed up something for him, put the paper clips on, and took it and laid it down on his desk. Pretty soon he came to the door and he said, Margaret, come here. So I went into, I didn't like the tone of his voice, first of all. And he said, he pointed to that paper and he said, I don't want you to ever do this again. <clears throat> and I thought, I, I, I didn't know what he was talking about. 
He said, do you see that paper clip? He said, I want the big side out, not the little side. I went out of that office thinking, picky, picky, picky. Oh, I was so angry. Yes, sir. (laughs) I went home and I was so mad. I threw myself across the bed. I said, God, get me another job. I can't stand that man. I just, I, you know, he despitefully used me. I could tell right off. And I was laying there, sobbing, feeling sorry for myself, begging God to give me another job. And God said, would you be willing to allow me to show you, I think his name was Howard, show you Howard the way I see him through my eyes? And I thought, well, it couldn't hurt. So um, he began to show me. He, 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 he showed me this little guy, chain smoker, not in real good health, miserable man because he had told me at one time that he had been called into the ministry, but he didn't go. And he was miserable. Nobody liked him. I didn't like him. But when God began to show me the heart of this man, and the heart, his heart, God's heart towards this man, something started to happen. And I could feel compassion begin to flow out of me. And you know, from that day forth, I don't know if I changed anything the way I act towards him, but you know, people can tell. They can sense the love that you have for them or the resentment or bitterness, or whatever. They know. You don't have to say anything. They know. But I went that next day, and my heart of compassion just overflowed for that man. And you know, from that day forth, that man, he begins to be so nice to me. He gave me raises when nobody else got raises. He gave me a paid vacation when we left, and I hadn't even been there a year. And he gave me a bonus as though it was a paid vacation. And I learned that even ugly, skinny, chain-smoking bookkeepers love those who love them first. The key is learn to see people through God's eyes, and you will love them. And then you can take your little faucet wherever it got to, and you can turn it on. And you will receive that blessing. So I'm going to close this morning with uh, Ephesians, the third chapter. I want to read it to you out of the Amplified and also out of the TPT. So if you'll put the uh, Amplified up first. May he grant you out of the rich treasures of his glory to be strengthened and reinforced with mighty power in the inner man by the Holy Spirit himself that indwells your innermost being and personality. So the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. That means you have God on the inside of you. 
That means you have everything that God has is in you. Next verse. May Christ, through your faith, we talked about faith, how you do it, actually dwell and settle down, abide and make his permanent home in your hearts. May you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. Next verse. That you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love. What is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of it? That you may really come to know practically through experience for yourself the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. That you may be filled through your being into all the fullness of God and may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. Now to him who is in consequence of the action of his power that is working within us, God now, now he's not talking maybe individually, but now he's talking about churches too. When we get to that point where God is so full in each of our lives, then the whole body gets filled up. And so then God is able to carry out his purpose and to do super abundantly far over, hallelujah, and above all that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. That's a promise. We'll go to, let's go to the TPT now. We're going to end with this. And I pray that he, God, will unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep within you And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences. The great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive is his Endless love beyond measure that transcends our understanding. Hallelujah. That extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Whew. I mean, that shouting ground. I don't know about you. but Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request. Your most unbelievable dream, Pastor Charlie's vision. Oh, that's not there, but we could put it there. And exceed your wildest imaginations. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Woo! Amen. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.